Welcome back to Because of Bitcoin. It's been a wild few weeks in the markets, and I wanted to call out that this interview was recorded before the recent market events around FTX. Words cannot express how deeply we feel for everyone impacted by the FTX and Alameda fraud. While unfortunate, what unfolded has highlighted the importance of strong and transparent business practices that prioritize the safety of client assets above all else. And at Ledin, that is at the core of what we do. We built our business around a singular belief. Our clients and their assets come first in everything that we do. This fundamental value has served us well throughout this downturn, and we remain committed to it. Ledin is in a very privileged position to lead and define this industry moving forward. And we thank you for your continued patience and trust. And now, onwards with today's story. Because of Bitcoin, a lot of people have found primarily financial sovereignty. And in general, if we're talking about like on a day to day, because of Bitcoin, a lot of people have found an actual monetary network that works for them. So we're talking about higher efficiency when it comes to payments. We're talking about more reliable payments. So there's any sort of first entries or like maybe outages when it comes to the network. It always works. It has always been working and hopefully will always keep working given all the work we'll be doing and other people are doing. You're listening to Because of Bitcoin, a podcast that shares the personal stories of how Bitcoin is having a real impact in people's lives, including mine. I'm your host, Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, the co-founder and CSO of Ledin. And without further ado, let's get started with today's story. There's a new generation of leaders coming. They're tech savvy from a young age, and they've only known a connected world, one with no physical boundaries. They're shaping a future that will transform society in ways that we can't even imagine yet. In this new world, our access to opportunities will not be determined by where we were born or by a government that we did not elect. This new world will connect us all, and it will change the lives of people in places like Africa and South America, where politics have gotten in the way of economic progress for centuries. Coming out of Nigeria, Abubakar Nur Khalil is a rising star. And he's one of the most interesting and impressive people I've met in the Bitcoin space. He keeps impressive company too. Abubakar, in addition to founding two companies and being a leading African contributor to Bitcoin Core, sits on the board of Btrust, an initiative founded by Jack Dorsey and Jay-Z to help promote Bitcoin in the developing world. Abubakar joined me to share his inspiring story from young HTML coder to Btrust board member. And he also shares his take on why Bitcoin adoption is skyrocketing in Nigeria, and also why he believes Bitcoin is a big part of a better future for his country, for the continent, and for the globe. Abubakar, great to see you again, man. How have you been? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad we're finally reconnecting again. You're from Nigeria, and you've done some really interesting work in that community. I believe that outside of Bitcoin, there's been quite a bit of a, a boom, I would say, in, in Nigeria and a few other places around this industry of software development. Could you basically comment a little bit on what you've seen or what kind of changes you've seen in Nigeria over the past, I don't know, say five to 10 years? Now I'm looking back in hindsight because I wasn't involved really before, I guess, 2017. It seems the evolution was pretty, pretty fast, relatively speaking. Because in under a decade, we already have like some unicorns, a lot of Nigerian engineers and quite a lot of high profile tech 
companies around the world. I think it really started with a lot of efforts around, you know, I'd say probably the Google Developer Group, Andela, maybe some of the other, I guess, local community organizers that really pushed not not specifically computer literacy, but actual software development. So learning how to program, even engineering to a certain degree. Now that we're moving in towards, you know, the paradigm of Bitcoin or other technologies that really require a lot of careful engineering and a lot of competent engineers to work on. I think that really helps in terms of already having that core base of engineers that already exist and then translating them into working these frontier technology spaces. So I definitely say that's kind of how I think the last 10 years has been on the continent, specifically in Nigeria. Nigeria consistently ranks as one of the countries with the highest Bitcoin adoption per capita. And for good reason. Nigerians from all walks of life are finding a monetary system that finally works for them in Bitcoin. This is my favorite question of the show, but can you tell me about the first time you learned about Bitcoin? You know, what, when in that process did you learn about Bitcoin? To be honest, the first actual first time was definitely in 2013. It was like a random YouTube video I saw from my older bro. Also, I went through like mining... And really all I understood from that was like, it was like a math contest where you win quote unquote Bitcoins. That was kind of like the first time I heard about it or even tried to understand what it was. And then fast forward a couple of years after that in like 17 is when I really started understanding what it actually was. What was it that initially captured your attention? Like what, what motivated you to work on this technology? Did you feel the spark back in 2013 or, or did that spark kind of catch fire later on in 2017? Oh, I'd say it was definitely smoke in 2013. It wasn't too serious. I was just really fascinated by the idea of like a digital currency. I mean, I had no idea all currencies were effectively digital at the time. So it's kind of like the smoke, but it took off to like a huge forest fire in 2017. What was it that lit up that fire? Not to sound too religious, but it was kind of like <laughs> I felt it in my spirit. The whole thing came came into perspective, like on the technological side, the economic side, because that was that was a period in my life where I was really, really trying to, I guess, map out a trajectory for my life, like understanding my place in the universe and all of that. So it really played a huge part in in, in terms of like being the the entry point into trying to discover a lot of facets of life, like how things work, how money actually operates, and all of that. So yeah, initially it was definitely a fascination with the tech specifically. And then after like a year or two, it became quite philosophical in addition to the tech side. And that was really what drew me into actually eventually contributing as well. Because I was like, damn, this is a lot more important than just a fancy article or like a bunch of articles or cool tech. You are a Bitcoin core contributor. I don't know that many listeners are aware of what core contributors are. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what what is it that a core contributor to the Bitcoin code does? And, and, and I guess more of a personal question, how has that impacted your professional development? So for context, a Bitcoin core, I guess, contributor really, as the name implies, is really anybody who contributes either a pull request, which is basically just creating, I guess, a suggestion to include some certain change into the code base. Or for the most part, really, the majority of the work is really just reviewing other people's code. So the review ranges, it goes all the way from code quality, documentation. So in general, I think it's really helped personally from like an engineering point of view in terms of the structure it provides. The whole idea of open source is 
to a certain extent is like building your reputation over time as like a solid developer. So it takes a lot of time to get to that stage. And what really helps with Bitcoin out of all the code bases in like the open source realm, I think Bitcoin is probably the most fairly structured in terms of proper documentation. I think people will have a much better idea of how Bitcoin gets upgraded and updated. And that is a lot thanks to the work of Bitcoin core contributors. Many of them are behind the scenes. You've done a lot of stuff since then. You founded Recursive Capital, which is an early stage Bitcoin venture capital fund. You also founded a company called Kala, which helps developers in the region. Which came first? Yeah, I think we definitely dive into Kala because the more recent one. I mean, Kala is wonderful. Honestly, the team is so incredible. The idea really with Kala is very, very straightforward. It's really to expand the number of developers globally. And specifically, we're talking about developers coming out of the African continent, because again, to go back to our previous conversation about like the continent, we feel the, the whole idea of Bitcoin is around ensuring you're building for the 100%, right? And the core component of that is ensuring the resilience of the system. Because at the end of the day, if Bitcoin doesn't work in extreme conditions, then it's kind of pointless because those extreme conditions is where things really matter. So when folks' rights are taking individuals are under duress by the state or other bad actors. So in general for us, it's been trying to organize a program that we hope other people replicate. So the idea is really to find them jobs because that's like the most sustainable way you could introduce new, a new set of engineers into the space. So for us, it's really structuring in three parts. So the first part is really a study group, like four weeks where basically come and talk and discuss a few questions around technical things around Bitcoin. They go through the Bitcoin book, um, Mastering Bitcoin by Antonopoulos. And then the next phase is really a seminar that goes deeper into like more technical things around the protocol development. And then the final stage, so to speak, is the actual main program and really centers around Bitcoin philosophy, sharpening their engineering skills, preparing them for getting jobs in actual Bitcoin companies, ensuring that they understand the design principles and guidelines from an engineering point of view of Bitcoin in general. Like the whole idea is just to create a pipeline of Bitcoin engineers, which frankly are very, very few even globally and even fewer on Bitcoin on, on the continent. That is incredible. Not only are you educating and training these engineers uh, that are many times the breadwinners for the families, but you're you're finding them jobs and you're paying them to do this. So it sounds like such an incredible, potentially life-changing opportunity for so many people. In December 2021, Abubakar found out that he had beaten out 7,000 other applicants to become one of four board members at a new initiative called Btrust. Btrust was started by Jack Dorsey, the former CEO and founder of Twitter, and Jay-Z. And their goal is to distribute 500 Bitcoins for the development and adoption of Bitcoin in Africa and India. What are your goals as a board member at the Btrust? Like, is there anything in particular that you're focused on? First and foremost, ensuring the longevity of the support when it comes to the Bitcoin ecosystem. That entails a lot of things. So we're looking at it as a... 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 year goal. And the idea is to ensure that what we mean by Bitcoin still stays Bitcoin. And secondly, I'm really looking at it from the point of view of trying to really provide the support the ecosystem needs, especially early on. So this ranges from pushing out more developers, which is one of the, I guess, the first things we're, we're trying to do. And then more generally, if we're talking about the whole space, it's more around providing 
the financial support for some of the programs that are working on the ground. So this range from education, translation, all of the like critical plumbing to ensure that everything works the way it should. And we're onboarding the next billions of people onto Bitcoin safely and securely, especially. And really the last one is, is really more specifically an operational thing, I think, to be honest, which is constantly looking at the space, challenging the existing models we have, whether it's how grants are giving, whether it's you know, the way individuals are, are thinking about education in general and trying to provide solutions that really work. And the good thing is with being able to financially support people, you're able to actually provide that sort of capacity that wouldn't necessarily have been there without like a, a, an initiative like B-Trust. How could the B-Trust influence the government decisions or regulations in Nigeria? Like, is that something that B-Trust could potentially influence regulation and get some support from, say, governments? We recognize first and foremost that we're operating in a political landscape and a continent like Africa, business or tech or all the other things we're involved with is, is highly political. From the point of view of you have to engage folks in politics, you have to engage regulators, for example. And really my thinking on a personal level is if we're talking about these folks as if, you know, they don't really understand what we're talking about is what's Bitcoin, what's the potential, then the onus falls on us really to go and educate them. Because you don't expect a lot of people in the government who feel there are bigger issues than Bitcoin per se, which down the line, obviously, that's likely going to change as we try and prove out some of the benefits on the ground front that will likely yield in some undeniable objective facts when it comes to the benefit. For us, is really trying to meet them in the middle, ensuring that they don't feel like we're here to depose them and, and all of that. It's more like certain things don't work and this is the best way for you to safeguard rights even as a sovereign nation, to remain sovereign, for example, if you're talking about having Bitcoin as your reserve and ensuring that you aren't relying on getting indebted or, or even sanctions from other countries. So in general, I think that's kind of how we're looking at it. At least that's how I'm looking at it. And we'll likely see a lot more of this down the line as the importance of Bitcoin on the continent continues to grow. Switching gears away from politicians because, you know, they, they, they get enough airspace. I want. I would love to get your your thoughts or your take on how Bitcoin is actually helping the people in Nigeria today. Like, like what what would you say in terms of like tangible examples that you've seen of how people how how Bitcoin has impacted lives for the better? Because of Bitcoin, a lot of people have found primarily financial sovereignty, and in general, if we're talking about like on a day to day, because of Bitcoin, a lot of people have found an actual monetary network that works for them. So we're talking about higher efficiency when it comes to payments. We're talking about more reliable payments. So there's any sort of reverse entries or like maybe outages when it comes to the network. It always works. It has always been working and hopefully will always keep working given all the work we'll be doing and other people are doing. When we're talking about the entrepreneurial front, we actually have even older folks, like older generation of individuals that have like mom pop stores using Bitcoin to advance their, their businesses when it comes to more liable payments or even expanding the range or should I see the scope of their audience and customer base. So a lot of people are now finding it a lot easier to set up even international storefronts. So you could be in a rural part in somewhere in Nigeria while you're servicing customers globally, all through Bitcoin. 
Another thing we're looking at is the savings mechanism aspect of Bitcoin in general. So we see a lot of people saving constantly through Bitcoin because, again, we have a lot of failing currencies. And even a country like Nigeria, for example, our inflation rate is, what, 20%, which is nuts. <laughs> it's incredible. So a lot of people are starting to see a lot of the benefits that we've been talking about for years now, but they're only starting to see it now because obviously infrastructure and a lot of the tech has advanced to a stage where we're able to handle a lot more people and we're able to safely let them play within this new paradigm. That's super exciting. I have a question for you, uh, which I find this fascinating because everywhere, uh, typically whenever Bitcoin is quote unquote working uh, for people somewhere, uh, it's not strange to see a government you know, step in and try to ban it or, or try to create some sort of restriction around this. Uh, and, and I saw that this happened in, uh, in Nigeria back in, in February of last year. Clearly, Bitcoin is still pretty popular and, and very useful for people down there. Can you speak a little bit about why it's so popular, even though it's technically not allowed to be used through quote unquote licensed institutions? In general, when it comes to the position of the government, it's mostly being apprehensive towards Bitcoin in general. And a lot of that is due to how Bitcoin was introduced into the country, which is through MLM and some of these other Ponzi schemes. But at the same time, a lot of people now recognize the, the actual utility of Bitcoin after having to forcefully, well, not really forcefully, but well, practically forcefully, given the economic situation that they find themselves in, even rising food, uh, food costs, high inflation of like 20%. So a lot of people are looking at alternatives to the currency that they feel is not working for them, especially when it comes to storing their wealth, just really trying to grasp with the day-to-day -day of surviving in the continent, which a lot of people have to grapple with. So for them, it's like, Denaro doesn't work, but Bitcoin still works. And the truth with the, the stance on the government is I feel is a lot more productive as a country for us to look at the alternatives that already work for people as opposed to like rebranding and creating an Enera, for example, as opposed to trying to see how the existing system we have, which is the Nera, how that could interface and interplay with the Bitcoin ecosystem or like the Bitcoin in, in general. So I think it's a huge, huge missed opportunity, but hopefully not too missed. <laughs> so we hope to, I guess, bridge that gap in terms of getting to speak with some of these regulators to ensure they understand the benefits that people are seeing and they're able to key into that because at the end of the day, they can't really stop Bitcoin. So I think it's a lot more productive to try and move with the times and ensure that they're also benefiting as opposed to us versus them. This segues nicely into this question that I have, but could you speak a little bit about why you have chosen to focus solely on Bitcoin? In honest, it's been a journey of realizations like from multiple aspects. Initially, it was mostly technical. So I, I used to do a lot of, well, relatively a lot of work with Ethereum. So like building smart contracts and all of that back in 2017 when I did know better. And that kind of snowballed, or should I say that kind of escalated or matured or evolved into realizing the key differences on a technical level between a system like Bitcoin or there's through the proof of work mechanism versus proof of stake and the effects that has in terms of safeguarding the actual interest of the stakeholders long-term and how that sort of plays or ties in with the existing systems we have. So for example, looking at consensus mechanism like proof of stake that really basically mimic the existing systems we have vis-a-vis -vis proof of work, which kind of tries to economically align incentives to ensure that the wrong and bad actors don't necessarily throw their will onto the people. And there's a fair bit amount of protection when it comes to the rights of folks on the network. So for me, it's really looking at the challenges we face 
not only as a continent, but as a globe and really analyzing the existing solutions or purported solutions we have, whether it's Ethereum, Cardano, ETC. And at the end of the day, the, the one thing that really sticks out or one of the few things that sticks out with Bitcoin is the very immaculate nature of its conception. So we definitely don't have the issues of being beholden to a certain group of people guiding the the destiny of the project and having like a huge amount of bags and like influence on the trajectory and really subjecting the plebs, so to speak, as like their subjects as opposed to individuals in, in the same ecosystem. For us is really looking at what's the long-term solution in the next 50, 100 years, what is something that we feel could not only encode what we feel should be foundational principles like verified on trust and ensuring that individuals really have their rights protected long-term given all the economic issues we see and kind of like the history of money as a whole in terms of how that affects individuals' rights and all that. So for us, it's really all about the long-term play. And we frankly just see Bitcoin as the only long-term solution to a lot of problems that we see, frankly, which I see specifically the money problem. Which is the biggest problem. <laughs> uh, you know, if, <laughs> exactly. if, if your money's broken, I think m- most of your incentive, uh, incentive systems basically break along with it. You speak a lot about the next 50 to 100 years. Like, what are some of the things that you would like to see Bitcoin help the continent or Nigeria specifically in the next, call it 10 to 15 years? Like, what, what would you like to see Bitcoin do for the people of Nigeria in the next five to 10 years? One of the major issues we have in Nigeria is a misalignment between incentives for people. So, rather than trying to productively apply yourself as a good citizen, so to speak, in in the society you find yourself in a lot of people feel it's well not feel but it's is really an environment of rent seeking has been created so to speak so whether it's folks trying to game you know the oil the oil sector or whether it's through trying to game fx or some other part of some some other facet of i guess economics in the country it's really i think the hope i i wish to see with Bitcoin in terms of like value it should provide to our society is to realign those incentives to more productive outlets. Because I think the major issue is the rent-seeking economy isn't, it's, it's just not scalable. And I really hope people find a more long-term incentive set or incentive mechanism in Bitcoin that really realigns them back into trying to positively impact the, the environment that they find themselves in, whether it's through entrepreneurial um, angles like building Bitcoin businesses or is through trying to even leverage Bitcoin as like a more efficient monetary rail for certain payments that happen in between African countries or within Nigeria itself. What is next for you and Kala and Recursive Capital and Btrust? You've worked in so many things, <laughs> uh, but what is next for you? I mean, for Kala, it's fairly straightforward. It's really ensuring that we continue the the pipeline in terms of pumping out new Bitcoin developers for everyone to enjoy, so to speak, themselves included, in terms of really building. And then with Btrust is really expanding the, the current support we're providing for the space and really trying to be a positive, I guess, force for the entire space, whether it's individuals trying to reconsider models that they already use, or maybe some certain things that we're trying to get other people to adopt in terms of trying to increase that efficiency of how we operate in the space. And then finally with Recursive, I think in general, it's really just to expand the portfolio companies that we currently have and increase the number of LPs we have and 
at the end of the day, more specifically, is trying to provide that support for the early stage Bitcoin companies coming in. So when we see support, it's not just financial support. We mean network support, technical support as well. So it's really trying to provide as much value as we can to the wider space as everyone else is doing their part. We're just trying to do our part as well. That's it. And it's a beautiful mission that you're in on, on pretty much every front. Where can guests find more about your work, Kala, Trust, Recursive Capital, or yourself? Where, where can they read more about you? I mean, they could find me on Twitter. I have all, all those orgs in my bio, so you can definitely have a one-way access to everything. Excellent. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you again. I hope to see you soon at maybe the next Oslo Freedom Forum or the next conference. And I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thanks. Looking forward to it as well. It was a huge pleasure. Thanks again for having me. Like Venezuelans, Nigerians have seen the value of their local currency go in just one direction, down. And this is why they are always looking for alternative ways to store value outside of the traditional financial rails that have consistently failed them. And participating in a system where financial transactions apply the same rules to everyone sounds like a perfect fit. And it is this new generation of leaders like Abubakar who are transforming the financial system not only through his contributions to Bitcoin Core, but also through the education programs he's building at Kala and his participation in organizations like the B-Trust. Although Abubakar's initial interest in Bitcoin may have been technological and economical, it led him to a philosophical discovery. Like many of our guests, he sees Bitcoin as part of the solution to the challenges that we face not just in the African continent, but also around the globe. Listening to everything Abubakar has done in just five years gives me hope. I believe in him and I believe in the ability of the next generation of Bitcoin stars to make our vision of the future a reality. And I think it'll be especially a beautiful reality in places like Africa and South America, where Bitcoin is already solving problems today and can open even more doors. If you enjoyed this Because of Bitcoin episode, I would be very grateful for the five seconds it would take you to drop us a review and give us a rating on your favorite podcasting platform. This will really help us reach even more listeners. And if you'd like to learn more about Bitcoin, be sure to check out our newsletter by subscribing at ledn.io. That's ledn.io. Again, this was Mauricio Di Bartolomeo. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, muchas gracias y los quiero mucho. Chao, chao.